Hi there, Scott Hamilton, Rockfile, back with another podcast for your ears. Not so much a review, we're going to be talking about Tears for Fears, Songs from the Big Chair, and 1985. As I record this, I don't know if I'm going to make this uh, Patreon only or put it out to the public, so we'll go either way depending on how it turns out. Today was the anniversary, uh, February 25th, uh, that 1985, that Tears for Fears released Songs from the Big Chair. It's a great album, you know? Um, but I wanted to kind of paint a picture. I, w- I was going to type something up today, this morning, when I saw that it was the anniversary. Um, I was going to type, and, and it just, it got away from me. I was like, I can't, I don't have time today. It's Friday. I run six radio stations. I really don't have time to sit down and write many paragraphs on uh, Tears for Fears songs from the big chair and what was going on in the world in 1985. So I decided to make a podcast, and I tried to get this recorded all day today. I was going to record it at work. And again, my boss was going out of town, so I'm in charge for the next week. Um, It's a weekend, so Fridays for radio stations, we have three times the amount of work that we normally do on a day. Um, And we also have a part-timer out this weekend, so there was a lot of commercials to dub in and um, air shifts to cover and things like that. So it was an incredibly busy day, and I didn't get to this. So anyway, in the year 1985... If you remember, maybe you don't, maybe you're listening to this and you're like, man, I wasn't even born then. But anyway, 1985, I had just graduated from high school. I graduated in 84. Um, I had my SAT sent to multiple schools. I was accepted at University of Georgia. I was accepted at Auburn. I was accepted at Georgia Tech. And I went to Valdosta State College. It was as far away from home as I could get. It was about five hours from Atlanta. It's right on the Florida border. Um but it kept me in the state, so my parents my parents offered to pay for college, um, so I didn't want to go out of state and really crush. They were they didn't take out any loans; they paid for everything in cash. So I I didn't want to put them out, so to speak. So I started school in the fall of 1984. I was living in the dorm. I pledged the music fraternity, and I started the radio practicum course is what they called it at the time. And it was a lot of sitting around and learning about radio through these college students, some of which had never worked in radio, but they worked at the college station for a while. And in that in the Bachelor of Arts for that degree, I got to do TV and Chiron and all sorts of other things, but I always went back to radio because I just love audio, theater of the mind, playing music for people, hearing new music, talking about music and, and other pop culture kind of things. It's just what I gravitated towards. So I got my first FCC license in uh, November of 1984, and I don't know what happened to it. I think I still have it somewhere. But I had to get a second one for whatever reason, or they made us get a second one. This was back in the, these days, the FCC does not send out licenses anymore. But you had to fill out a form. And before I got mine, there was even a test involved. So I still have the paper license that says January of 1985. So I technically call that my career started then. And my first air shift was coming on the air late on a Saturday night, like 11 o'clock after Mary Turner off the record, which was a special show. Um, And I queued up the wrong song and had cuss words on it. And I almost got fired on my first job. And my air shift was like two hours. Within a short period of time, I was doing afternoons and eventually got a, a job offer from a local top 40 station. And that's why I'm in radio all these years later. But in 1985, um, our radio station was the second radio station in the state of Georgia to have a CD player. And back, I don't 
know if you remember what CD players were in 1985, but basically it was a black box with a drawer and a button on it and a digital display, an LED red light display with two digits for the track number. Later, we got very nice LED displays with time and times remaining and how many tracks and all that. But in the beginning, no, Uh, they were very simple Uh, things that just stream digital audio off these little plastic discs. So being the second radio station, we got record labels to send them to us, and I think we had 5 to 10. Van Halen 5150 was one. Um, Songs from the Big Chair, a few others. The radio station played most things off vinyl back in the day. When I got two years later, got my job in in Top 40 radio, we had these impressive uh, pioneer things that look like cash register, CD players, and we played everything off CD back in the day and could pitch it up or pitch it down. And we were top 40, so we pitched everything up a couple percent. Anyway, the music industry in 1985, as I was getting into it, um, it was a great time for music. In the mid-80s, pop stations could play anything if it was popular. These days, pop stations have a certain sound to them, and you don't hear too many songs that deviate from that sound every once in a while. Every once in a while, somebody puts out something that's acoustic-based or piano-based, and it's not overly produced, and, uh, and et cetera. Back then, bands like Guns N' Roses, Metallica, they got play on pop stations. In, in the early 90s, we had to play Inner Sandman. It got that big. In the, in the mid to late 80s, we had to play Sweet Child of Mine on Top 40 Radio at night because they were just that big. How many rock bands do you hear on pop stations today? And it wasn't just rock music. I mean, Prince was peaking in 1985. Um, Phil Collins had done several solo albums from Genesis. It was quite successful. Sting from The Police released Dream of the Blue Turtles. Quite successful. Uh, Peter Gabriel. So, I mean, you know, these people who had come from these classic bands, Robert Plant's career was going well by 1985 uh, from Zeppelin. You know, um, Pink Floyd was about to get back together. It it was a great time for music. Uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller, you know, came out just before. There was just so much creativity. Not everything was cookie cutter. We got cookie cutter. Keyboards, um, the Euro beat kind of sound, that kind of took over for a while. Hair bands took over for a while. But all this stuff was up and coming in 1985. It was all exploding, and, and you had so many choices, and everybody liked everything. And everything, just every hair bands kind of had a, a positive twist to it. Pop music had a, everything was just really seemed positive at the time, right? And so CD players were new. Uh, um, we haven't had any hard, uh, since 4K players came out, there hasn't been anything new that you needed to put in your home stereo system to listen or watch something. Um, we were coming off cassette decks and vinyl, and, and eight tracks had died. Uh, most people had cassette, and then the CD, and the sound quality over cassette was incredible. If you ever get a chance to listen to a cassette, do it, and realize we listen to that in our cars. They were heavily compressed. Um, it was a tiny little piece of tape. You know, these albums are recorded on one-inch thick tape, very big tape, and then we shrink it down and, and put it on two channels on that tiny little cassette tape. And they would warp in the sun, and if you left them in your car, it was terrible. And So anyway, CDs were coming out, and there weren't that many at the time. They came in these long cardboard boxes. Um, 
the record stores are very concerned about theft on CDs because they were small. They were smaller than 45s. So they put them in these long boxes, and in some of the stores, long plastic things that the, the people in the front had to take them out for you, kind of like what they do with video games at Walmart now sometimes or at uh, Best Buy. So Songs from the Big Chair by Tears for Fears cut through at a time. Some people had heard of them from their previous album, The Hurting and Mad World, but that wasn't a big hit at the time. I mean, it was an alternative radio, British pop radio, stuff like that. Um, some of us that were into Duran Duran and Frankie Goes to Hollywood and that kind of music, we were familiar with that song. MTV had played the video and that kind of thing. But songs from the big chair just came out of nowhere and made them the biggest band of the year. There are very few albums that came out in 1985 that were bigger than this. And because everybody was buying a CD player for their house, we didn't have them in our cars yet, um, everybody wanted that album. That was one of them. I remember Sting, Dream of the Blue Turtles was another. And that was an analog recording. I think this was too. There were very few digital recordings in the beginning. So they were converting um, analog to digital. And some CDs, some of the original CDs were mastered low, but very well. Like they would remaster them later and make them really loud. And if you have the original CDs, those are actually the preferred ones from collectors now. Glad I have a lot of those original CDs. But some of the remastering today does make old recordings sound much better. But at the time, Songs of the Big Chair was one of the cleanest recordings. And to hear it on CD was just, it was a whole new experience. The songs were great. You know, this band didn't have one, two, but they had three, four huge top 40 hits. Yes, my dogs are barking in the background, sorry. Um, off this album, big hits, videos, the whole nine yards. I mean, for over a year, you couldn't go anywhere. And they followed it up in 87 um, with Seeds of Love, Sowing the Seeds of Love, which was great, but not as big. And what a tour it was with Alita Adams. It was, wow, I saw that show outdoors at uh, Oak Mountain Amphitheater in Birmingham, Alabama. It was really amazing. But Songs from the Big Chair in 1985 was just, that was the it. And to this day, it's one of those albums that really takes me back to when it came out. Not that the music's that dated. I mean, Shout's a little dated, I guess. But everybody wants to rule the world really loud on a nice stereo system digitally. Just sounds, still sounds amazing. It takes you somewhere. And when I hear the songs on the radio, they don't do it as much. But all together on the album, that experience, I remember sitting in my dorm room or my apartment or whatever. You know, it takes me back to those times. So this was a podcast that just gets nostalgic about the time. 1985 for music, anyway. There were some decent movies, but movies were starting to get into that sameness that we were getting into sequel-itis by that time, uh, where everything had to have sequels, and all the sequels were bad. We really had very... Empire Strikes Back was like the only good sequel that came out at that time, and then Return of the Jedi. But in the, in the mid-'80s, most sequels were just horrific, and there were a lot of really bad movies. And yeah, there, were, there was a ton of bad music, too. But there were so many good things that, that cut through and just quality recordings, quality music that have held up. Like I said, the 80s got a little too 80s. And, and as we got slick, then we got grunge and metal and a few other things that came out of that as people rebelled and wanted something you know, more down to earth and not as produced. And that, I, I promise you that's going to come back around these days. Trust me. 
1985, Songs from the Big Chair, Tears for Fears. Today is also the day they released their first album in 17 years. I am a little trepidatious about listening to it. The first single they released, I absolutely love. I thought it was fantastic. The second single, I hated. And the third single, I thought was okay. So I do want to listen to the album. I read a couple reviews, and people like it. They called it Mature, Elegant, Pop, Prague. I think Prague has always been a bit of a stretch with Tears for Fears, but when I go back and listen to it, and then I listen to some other Prague albums, okay, yeah, there's some progressive elements on it. I do have the Stephen Wilson uh, remix, remaster, surround sound disc on Blu-ray. Sounds incredible in surround sound. If you ever get a chance, I highly recommend it. A lot of people think the 80s were the greatest decade. I don't think so. We were wearing headbands and plastic pants and zippers on everything and skinny ties. It wasn't all wonderful. Go watch Stranger Things if you want to know about some of the fashions. But musically, there's a lot of music from that time that does stand up. That's um, not all keyboard drenched and, and, and hairsprayed and all that. Tears for Fears song for the big chair. Pull out the whole album and listen to it and give their new album a listen. I'm going to do that this weekend and maybe I'll have a podcast review about it. But Songs from the Big Chair definitely defines an era and, for me, defines a year like almost no other album I can think of. I'm Scott Hamilton. I'm Rockfile. Thank you very much for listening to this ramble uh, and taking the time out of your day. I've got links below if you'd like to check out my other projects, more podcasts on the way. So I'll catch you on the next one. Thank you. <laughs>